You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. Thank you so much for being here. I love the, uh, the slide that is often up there at the first of the service, which says, we're glad you're here. And we are. We're very glad that you are here this morning. I want to um, emphasize one announcement that David made. I think it may have been the only one he made earlier this morning. Uh, baptism is going to be on September 23rd. We're going to be having a, a, a baptismal service. Um, if you would like to be baptized, if you have not been baptized, if you've made a profession of faith in Christ, and have not been baptized, you need to talk to me between now and next Sunday. Next Sunday is the last day to sign up for that September 23rd. Today uh, in Isaiah, I'm not going to mention this at all, but I have to tell you that the commentaries have a great deal of association between water that is talked about as a refreshing water in, in um, the the, to the, the people in a dry land, spiritually dry land, and baptism. There's a lot of connection made. Um, so David said something else. He said, remember, come and remember your baptism. We need to do that every Sunday. Why? Because not only is baptism our identification with the Lord, it is his identification with us. God is connecting himself with us in baptism. He identifies with us. You'll see this uh, thread and, and, and train of thought through this sermon this morning. I wasn't going to mention anything about it, but just look for it now that you are uh, aware of it. Um, <clears throat> if you are a football fan, then life is pretty good for you right now. I mean, we are in the middle of the opening weekend of college football. In four days from now, NFL kicks off. It, there's a lot of football uh, going on. At the beginning of the year, your team is golden. Uh, unfortunately, it's already the second day of the football season for me as a Carolina, North Carolina fan. Look, as a, as a Panther fan, I, I, I really wish that they weren't in such a tough division. This is going to be a good year for the Panthers. As a Tar Heel fan, uh, I'm Charlie Brown, and Lucy has once again said, just go ahead, kick the football. <laughs> It'll be okay. It, it's it's going to be all right this year. As a Campbell Camels fan, I know it's going to be a good year. My, my son Michael and I are huge Carolina Panthers fans. He knows a lot more about other teams than I do. Um, but But we both watch the NFL draft in late April. We're both that much of a fan. And... Um, you can learn a whole lot on NFL draft night. The analysts are talking about all the teams and their needs and the players coming in. So you, that's the reason we watch it. You can learn a whole lot about the entire league on that one night, ostensibly. That is true. Three or four years ago, I was stunned as I was watching the NFL uh, the way that it promoted itself on the first night of the draft. As they would go to a commercial break, there would be an image of the NFL up like on a wall, and a player uh, would walk in and uh, turn 
to the image and go like this. Can you believe that? They were essentially worshiping the NFL. And the only thing different from the NFL and most other businesses and entertainment icons is that they were honest. But it really was a shock. It was just a, <clears throat> a, 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 like a blow. Interestingly, it was soon after that, that draft that the movie Concussion came out. Have you seen that movie? Very interesting movie. <clears throat> Raising the alarm about CTEs or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. There, I said it. Uh, to new levels, CTEs all of a sudden were on everybody's mind. Uh, if you keep up with the NFL at all, you know that the problems have increased and the viewership is going down. And a lot of intelligent people are saying that football's days are numbered as a viable sport in America because of these concussions particularly, along with everything else that's going on. And <clears throat> I certainly hope that is not the case as long as my grandsons don't play. So, you know, it, that's the point. We don't want these injuries to keep going on. Is there a direct corollary between the NFL's creation of the idol that it worships and entices us to worship and, and its subsequent struggles and troubles? I mean, I don't know. You, you be the judge. It's a $14 billion a year industry. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Now, that's all the teams together. And look, Walmart makes more in five hours than, than the typical NFL team makes. But still, $14 billion, and as far as any other sport is concerned, nothing compares. The NFL is king. So, lest you question why I still watch the NFL, almost everything we enjoy is a potential idol. Really, almost anybody we enjoy is a potential idol. Let's hear what Reed Lessing has to say about modern-day idols. Quote, Idolatry was not just a problem in biblical times. It is a human problem for all times. Our culture is dominated by idols. Altars include office towers, spas, stadiums, studios, tanning salons, classrooms, and vacation destinations. Anywhere sacrifices are offered to achieve ultimate happiness, there is an idolatrous shrine. In antiquity, the false gods were bloodthirsty and impossible to appease. They still are. Counterfeit gods are more than just false lovers and pseudo-saviors. They are slave masters that can never be satisfied. They only kill still and destroy. John 10, 10, where Jesus talks about the enemy, Satan, coming only to kill, steal, and destroy. Close quote. We are in a portion of the book of Isaiah where the prophet is writing to the Israelites some 100 to 150 years in the future when they will be in captivity because of their sins. One of the primary sins that landed them in the land of Babylon was idolatry. Their propensity to worship idols and trust in idols. Oh, help us. There's a portion of the 
text that we're not going to read this morning just because of time, but you can go back and read it. It's over and over and over in the 40s in in, in the book of Isaiah where he says, look, you you, you chop down a tree, you use half of it for, for, for a fire to warm yourself and to cook your food, and then you make the other half into an idol and you bow down and you, oh, really? God is saying, how absurd is that? That he... God talks about this over and over. He ridicules those who not only fashion idols, but who also worship them. And in the words of Doc Brown, amazing, amazingly stupid, God says, to make something in them bow down to it. Today's text is Isaiah 44, 1 through 23. I am going to leave out verses 12 to 20 in the public reading of the word. Notice, though, in verses 9 to 11, which we will read, how those who worship idols, it said over three times, it said in those verses alone, they will be put to shame. Repeatedly in Isaiah, Yahweh calls for his people to turn to him in repentance and faith. So in today's text, we're going to see the interconnectedness of God's grace, our repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah 44, 1 through 11, and then 21 through 23 will be our reading. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel... Whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you. Who formed you from the womb. And will help you. Fear not. O Jacob. My servant. Jeshurun. Whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land. And streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. And my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? (coughs) And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they have been put to shame, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. 
Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. In verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel. For you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Psalm 103, David referenced just a while ago. This sounds very much like it. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Let's pray. Well, Father, these are <coughs> encouraging words. And Lord, <coughs> they are <coughs> almost like streams on a parched land, uh, water that's poured out on a dry land. But, but bountiful streams of water poured out on a dry land. We know that there is a great deal of judgment in the book of Isaiah. But there is redemption and salvation. And today, may we absorb the beauty of the promises and respond to the challenges that you have given to us to return to you. Uh, open our hearts. And fill them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Musi. To organize our thoughts as we approach the text, we're going to think about five different features of the truth uh, that God presents in Isaiah 44, beginning with deceiver and beloved. How can it be? I'm going to guess that some of you had interesting conversations on the way to church this morning. You know those Sunday morning trips to church, don't you? You know, there's sometimes they're a little bit uh, active and loud and uh, that kind of thing. And so some of you who 15 minutes ago were raising your hands in worship were one hour ago raising your voices toward the others in your vehicle, you know. And how can this be? I mean, first of all, how can it be that you can love someone so deeply and, and then in just a few moments be completely frustrated with the same individual. Uh, there's no question that you still love him or her, but, but, but your patience can surely be tested. The only thing more frustrating about the humanness of a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend is the humanness of the person that you live with 24-7, right? So how is it knowing our propensity to sin so quickly after we were worshiping the Lord, that God has patience for us? How do our ups and downs affect God's love for us? Well, the first two verses of Isaiah 44 bring good news. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. 
so much in these verses, including the sanctity of life in the womb. The fact that God affirms life from the earliest moments of life. God identifies himself with his people. And that includes those who have trusted Jesus. By the way, I, I, sometimes on Sunday morning, um, <clears throat> especially today, Allison is in the mountains with the tally women, oh, my sisters, my daughters, all their daughters are there. It's a really great weekend for them up in the mountains. And on Sunday morning especially, she usually cooks breakfast. We have a hot breakfast on Sunday morning, even if we don't on the rest of the days. So this morning, I was doing the cooking, uh, sausage and eggs. And, well, no, I won't go into it anymore. It'll make you start thinking about food. <laughs> it was so good. But I was listening to some, some music. On YouTube, you know, I just play one, and then they all pop up uh, one after the other. I which lets you know, have pity upon me. Uh, I mean, I do use Pandora and Spotify, but still, YouTube, here I am. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. By the way, you can be assured of this. If there's a song that's very popular in our day, uh, and we're not singing it here, our staff, David, takes the lead on this, but our staff, we're talking about this theologically. There's a reason that we're not singing one of the songs that you love so much. Uh, and sometimes we end up singing them, but it takes a while to get there. We just want to make sure. But in this song that so many of you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I, you have chosen me in my mother's womb. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Was, was the author thinking about these? Very possibly. These verses. Look, Jacob. Look, Israel, I have chosen you. I am identifying myself with you. Do not fear, even though you are captives in Babylon. Do not be afraid. Put your name in the place of Jacob. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Hear me, John says the Lord. Hear me, Sarah. You are my servant whom I have chosen. I formed you in your mother's womb. I design you as you are. I love you. I will never, ever forsake you. can open your eyes. You, you know what the name Jacob means, right? <clears throat> so sorry, Jacob. It means deceiver. <laughs> if you were named Jacob, your mother or your father, whoever named you Jacob, was thinking about the fact that this is the man who wrestled with God and prevailed. This is the man that God chose to name his people after. There were two sides to Jacob, and there were two sides to every single believer. In Isaiah 44, God seems to be emphasizing that while Jacob was and is sinful, he also sees, God also sees him as Jeshurun, which means upright one. 
In the Hebrew, the ending of the name Jeshurun is an affectionate diminutive. That doesn't mean much to you. Just understand that when the language is written in the way it is, it means something and it's showing God's deep affection for Jacob, who he called upright one. If you belong to the Lord, you are deeply loved. You are the beloved. In fact, the reason that you belong to the Lord is that he loves you. What did you deserve to cause his pleasure to be to identify with you? Not only are you a hand raiser, you're a voice raiser. And the only way you or I, any of us are ever made worthy is for the Lord to declare us so. The marks of God's call on your life are his ownership of you and his deep love for you. His love for you is evidenced in the next point. The Holy Spirit, water in a dry land. I'm not sure that we can fully appreciate what it means to be thirsty and to be worried about where we will find water. I'm, for whatever reason, this morning I am seriously thirsty and grateful that we have it. When I was at TVR, I used to put this on and I said, I'll be through preaching when either I drink all of that water or it evaporates, one of the two. So... Um, <clears throat> That's not the case today. Maybe a good exercise for your family would be to list all the things that you take for granted. Like the refrigerator, like air conditioning, like central heat, you know, like a vehicle, the money the, to buy gas, the ability to go to any number you ever have that feeling, you know, when for whatever reason, a couple of summers ago, the pipeline broke and it was a shortage of gas in our area. And you just think, how much do we take for granted? So with your family, just list all the things that we typically take for granted. And then go back and one by one, just thank the Lord for those things. One of my favorite Far Side cartoons shows three men who are obviously lost in the desert, and they come across a, a, a running water fountain. And the guy in the front says, now just hold your horses, everyone. Let's let it run for a minute and see if it gets any colder. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Look, if, if, if you come across a water fountain in the middle of the desert that's running, you're not going to be waiting for it to get cold. You're not going to be testing for impurities. You're going to be drinking as deeply and as quickly as you can. In, in Isaiah, God's people are repeatedly promised refreshment from his spirit. A foretaste of the Holy Spirit who would come at baptism, at Jesus' baptism, and then come upon believers at Pentecost to indwell those who belong to the Lord. Since I've already mentioned it, just think about this now. Spirit comes at Jesus' baptism. At Pentecost, what happens? They, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and what's the first thing they do? Baptize. And do think it was this way. <laughs> um, it, they, they were baptized. Baptized. 
For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Water on a parched land. Beautiful imagery if you live in a dry place. And a beautiful promise for us who may not realize how spiritually dry our land is even as we draw comfort from our idols. When our idols will pull from under us, we begin to understand the value of the Holy Spirit. When we yield to Him, the quenching of our thirst begins to create thirst in others. Verse 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. If there is one, step forward. This is what the Lord says over and over in Isaiah. My goodness, what a great day for Dave and Wynn Knight to be here with this text. What witnesses these guys are for the Lord. How openly and, and, and quickly and unafraid and unashamedly. Well, maybe not unafraid always. Maybe there are times they are afraid. Remember last week we were talking about courage. is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to do the right thing in, the, in whatever the circumstances. But sharing and the, the witness of the Lord that happens to us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in Acts 1. We're out there in Acts 2, I mean, early in Acts 2, we're out there telling the entire world we're, we're witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth, ends of the earth. Think about this for just a moment. To whom was Isaiah writing? Captives in Babylon some 100, 150 years later. Do you think maybe that Daniel and his three companions thought about this verse? When they were told either worship idols or else, I'd say pretty good chance. They were thinking about this promise from God. We live in a spiritually dry land. And it is time for us to receive the refreshment that idols cannot give. That only God can provide through the Holy Spirit. Which leads to the next point. God is bigger than any, well, there is no other God. Period. That's what Yahweh tells us over and over in Isaiah. I alone am God. There is no other God. We agree with that, right? Well, theoretically, we do. Our lives, though, <laughs> reveal numerous distractions. Elevated above our love for and worship of God. Sometimes it is not our love of other things, but our fear of what might be that gets us. In verses 6 to 7, the Lord describes, describes himself with several names, including, I am the first and the last. The book of Revelation uses this designation for Jesus four times. Wait a minute. Wait, just wait. Yahweh says, I am the first and the last. 
Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. Y'all suppose Jesus is saying he's Yahweh. And, and Yahweh is bigger than we thought he was in the time of Isaiah? Yes, Isaiah was pointing to all of that. Jesus knows, by the way, what, I love this thought from the name, I am the Alpha and Omega. Jesus not only knows the beginning of your problems, he knows the end. You know the beginning of your problems. You, you, if a problem comes on you, if some disaster comes on, you start thinking back, when did this begin? When did it happen? And you know the beginning, but you don't know the end. He does. And he loves you and he's telling you, don't be afraid. As you know, our, our land is deeply divided politically, socially, religiously, and in just about every way. This past week, uh, President Trump called a bunch of uh, evangelical leaders to the White House. And I don't know, there may have been more than evangelical leaders. J.D. Greer was one of those. And he said, look, I had to go listen. And, and Trump said, look, what happens in, 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 uh, in, in November is going to greatly affect churches. And if, if, if we lose, you lose everything. And Michael Horton in response said, no, the only time we lose everything is when we believe and preach a false gospel. That's when we've lost everything. If we're persecuted, so be it. And you know what God's word is going to be to us if we're persecuted? Fear not. I am with you, and you will be my witnesses. Last week, talked about Paul in the Mamertine prison. In his first imprisonment, there were two imprisonments for the Apostle Paul. In his first imprisonment, it was that he was under house arrest, and a member of the imperial guard, the elite guard in Rome, uh, was chained to him at all times, and they had three-hour shifts. So eight hours a day, Paul had a captive audience to preach the gospel to. If we come to a place where we're persecuted as believers, then God is going to use that. And Isaiah, I see it all the time. I don't know if you see it. I see it every week. He's talking. He, he's, God paints a much bigger picture. We are so wrapped up in this little place that we're in for this moment of time. And God's design is much bigger. And sometimes we're the privates on the front line. We're, we're storming Normandy, uh, the, the beaches of Normandy. And some of us are going down. And God's saying, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. You just wait till you see the whole thing. You wait till you see the big picture. It's going to blow your mind. And by the way, I love you. And I don't want you to be afraid. So we're a divided land. Don't you hate it when you hurry to identify yourself with one group or position only to realize that the position has changed the moment you affirm it? Yes, I think we need to stand up. For... Honey, that was so last week. Are you not aware of anything? Do you not spend 22 hours of your day on Twitter and and? Facebook, well, okay, not Facebook, but if you know what, something changed that quickly. It's not Facebook where you're getting your information. 
James commands us this. This is a good word, believers. Pull away. Pull away from social media long enough to hear the word of God. What does James say? Be slow to speak, but quick to hear. Quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to become angry. Identify with the Lord, brothers and sisters. There's a debate about whether Isaiah 45, 44, 5 refers to Israelites proudly identifying with Yahweh or Gentiles coming to identify with Him. Either way, the fourth truth speaks to our relationship with the Lord. No forgiveness without repentance and no repentance without God's grace. Israel had wandered, wandered far from God. By the time they reached Babylon, the people felt abandoned, barely hanging on for survival. And, 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 and in Babylon, this would be, Isaiah knew it. He saw it all ahead of time. He knew what it was going to be. And, and the people are saying, oh God, how could you do this to us? And the Lord is reminding them over and over, it's your sins that did this to you. Don't blame me for this. Your sin got you into this spot. But they were also reminded that God had not forgotten them and in fact would never Never abandon them. If you this morning feel abandoned, and we are all tempted to feel that way at some time. If you belong to the Lord, if you have repented of your sins and placed all of your hope in heaven, for heaven in Jesus Christ, what Jesus did on the cross, and if you said, I'm yours, and now it feels like he's no longer saying the same about you, that he's just abandoned you. and put That's a lie. That's a lie from Satan that he has abandoned you. He will never abandon you. And says, says the king of self-pity sometimes, quit feeling sorry for yourself. It's not a time to feel sorry for yourself. It's a time to trust in him, the one who says, I will never abandon you. One of the primary purposes of the law is to reveal our sin to us so that we recognize our only hope is to cry out to God for mercy. We are incapable of making ourselves worthy in his sight. So Isaiah says, whereas the idol makers form lifeless idols that cannot see or hear or redeem Yahweh <coughs> forms his people and brings sight to blind eyes and opens the ears of the deaf, and he makes alive those who are spiritually dead. And how does that process work? What does he do? It's through the repentance and faith of his people, which occurred because of his grace. Verse 22 is both a beautiful promise and a call to repentance. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. In other words, they're gone. And, and, Isaiah, and Psalm 103 that David referenced, I will never remember them again. 
And what that means is he will not hold his, your sins against you. Can God forget? Our, well, no, he's God. He knows everything, but he chooses to never again hold our sins against us. And by the way, it's those people you're having trouble forgiving, that's a good way to think about it. It's not that you can forgive, uh, forget, I mean, but you can forgive and choose not to hold that person's sins against you. That's what God does for us. The Lord identifies with us. And he is ever reminding and calling us to identify with him. Which brings us to the last point. Return to God, beloved of the Lord. Do we need a revival in our land? If, you, if you've only been a believer for a short period of time, or if you're under 30 years old, you may, you may not even know what I'm talking about. We generally refer to a revival as a strong movement of the Lord in a, in a I, not necessarily isolated, but in a very specific geographical area, someplace in the world, the Spirit of God begins to... To, to, to pour out on the people in that place. And many people come to Christ. They confess their sins and they come to Christ. <clears throat> but that's actually just a result of the revival. That's not the cause of the revival. If there is revival in the land, it's because God's people have put away their idols and turned back <clears throat> to the Lord. <clears throat> I, I was saved during the Jesus movement. If you know anything about church history, that's when a whole bunch of hippies got saved. I was a hippie, and contrary to uh, popular belief, hippies were, for the most part, clean people. We took two or three showers a day. Most of us did. So we were clean, not dirty, rotten hippies, but clean hippies nonetheless, apart from God. And a movement swept across America, and a lot of people who had denied the existence of God began to turn to him. I, 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 I'm tempted to think that that's not going to happen again. <laughs> and I have been tempted to think that. And indeed, the signs are pointing to the gospel moving to other parts of the world after having enjoyed a wonderful extended day in the United States. But that doesn't mean that God has abandoned his people. He will never do that. And indeed, there are beginning. I'm just now beginning to see maybe the Lord is about to do something. The Lord will never abandon you. And while the spiritual outlook is bleak in our land. Nonetheless. God is always moving. In the hearts of his people. So the question is. Is he moving. In your heart. Isaiah 44, 22 is a strong call for response among his people. Why? Why, if you belong to the Lord, is he calling you to return to him? Because he has redeemed you. You belong to him. And life is... The entire Christian life is a life of repentance. And it's a blessing to be able to confess our sins to the Lord. No matter what else you are. American. 
North Carolinian, North Carolinian, I should say, or wherever you're from, New Yorker, Maryland, Marylander, male, female, wealthy, poor, doesn't matter what else you are. If you belong to Jesus, your first allegiance is to him. More than that, your first love should be for him. Return to the Lord. I know that many of you come from a tradition, I did, uh, where at the end of the church service, at the end of the sermon, there was an invitation for you to respond, to come forward, to receive Christ, or to come and kneel at the altar and confess your sins to the Lord. And even though the invitation, you may not know this, even though the invitation has really only been a part of some church services for the last 200 years, it's not been for 2,000 years up until the last 200, uh, even so, it, it, it has been greatly used of the Lord, and such a time may have been significant in your life. For most of church history, and, and it continues to be the case in many places today, and indeed it's, it's the case here, the response to the word is to come to the table and to partake and affirm your faith that you belong to the Lord and He belongs to you. We're going to follow that pattern today. In accordance with the instructions for the table in 1 Corinthians 10, we usually allow a time of personal confession of sin. This is private, not, not out loud, but just in your heart to the Lord. So this morning was such a strong call from Isaiah, for us to give up our idols and to return to the Lord. Would you take just a few moments to privately confess your sins in preparation for the table? Uh, in a few moments, we will remember Jesus' sacrifice that made eternal life a reality. Not only a possibility, but a reality for his people. And if you are here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, then may I encourage you during this time, to just call out to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I, I, I confess that I am a sinner and I deserve only your wrath. But I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he took my place. He died for me. Isaiah is going to say this in very graphic, precise, and beautiful terms. In just a few weeks, we're going to be getting to Isaiah 53, not, not very long uh, from, from now. And the description of the crucifixion is, is or the, the purpose of the crucifixion is as is, is, is beautiful and full there as it is anywhere else in Scripture. So all of Isaiah is pointing to Jesus, to Yahweh, the first and the last. And if you have never trusted him, just say, Lord, I call on you to save me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 9, will be saved so let's take just a few moments. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray?
as we close this time, I will read a prayer from the common book of common book of prayer, prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. As the elders and deacons uh, and worship team come forward, I just will give a few instructions for our time at the table. We invite all of those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ to join us as we participate in the Lord's Supper, as we participate in this meal with us. It's a time where we remember Him and we recognize that we are connected with one another as well. Uh, we're going to, these uh, servers and the ones who will be leading us in, 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 in the worship, the music, um, are going to partake first. And then we'll ask you to come forward. Go to the station that is in front of you. Um, the bread, by the way, is gluten-free. I, I often forget to mention that for those of you who have allergies. Um, it, so go to the section in front of you. If your section is done, uh, is not done, is backed up, and the other section is finished, you can slip over to another section. But elders and deacons will serve you. Uh, the Lord's Supper, this is a meal for believers. If you're not a believer, just come forward and, and walk by. Nobody's going to make any deal about it. Don't mean to embarrass or put anyone out. But just, this is our affirmation. That we believe that Jesus died for us. And this is his affirmation. That we belong to him as well. If you are unable to come forward, Ricky Lee will be in the back. And if you just raise your hand, he will serve you. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 26, <clears throat> we're told these words. Now, as they were eating, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So <laughs> this supper is looking back. It's in the moment and it's looking forward. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And we recognize that he is identifying with us even as we identify with him. And we look forward to the day when we eat and drink in the kingdom. And we, it won't be a whole 30 diet. In the kingdom. It's going to be. What, whatever it is. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be. You won't have to worry about gluten in the kingdom. It's. 
going to be perfect. We're looking forward to that day. And as we come to this table, we are giving witness to our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we go from this place telling others the good news. We're giving the news that is a cold drink of water on a hot day in a dry land. Father, on this day we give thanks that in the womb you fashioned us, you formed us, you claimed us, you chose us. And you will never abandon us. Even in times when everyone is against us and mocks us as the people of Israel must have felt in Babylon. You have told us to fear not. And your very presence comforts us. Lord, um, comfort us today as we come to the table. Remind us whose we are and all the implications of that beautiful truth and promise. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was shed to, to cover and, and to take away our sins. And thank you for the body that was beaten and given for us. It's not just a, a, an, an ethereal, um, abstract thought. It's, it's real life. The living God became flesh, dwelt among us, died, rose again, that all who believe in his name will be made sons and daughters of God. We thank you for the body and the blood on our behalf and in our place. Bless this meal in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.